real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today started his career over 20 years ago as a freelance web developer before realizing his true passion, help podcasts of any size make money so that they can turn their hobby into a business. Welcome to the show, Joe Casa Bona. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. Well, awesome. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, looking over your website, notice some kind of key stats that I wanted to go over that I found really impressive. You've made over 250000 podcasting, probably more than that since the time that you updated that. 30 to 50K of which is in sponsorships. 60,000 downloads in 30 days. Curious how, well, first, actually, before we get to that, what is your background? How did you get into podcasting? Yeah, so my uh, background is actually in web development. I have my master's degree in software engineering. I was always like a very people person. I'm like not the, um, not the typical like anti-social programmer person. In grammar school and high school, I did drama club. I loved presenting. I still love presenting. So I was like a bit of a performer, but I was really into the technology side of things. And also a New York Italian, so I like talking. And podcasting kind of combined all of that stuff for me. There was, when I started, right, there was a very technical aspect to it. You had to know certain things, allowed me to perform a little bit. And since I was working remotely, I've been working remotely since like 2013 or something like that full time. I had like a short stint when I worked at my alma mater where they didn't allow remote working. But then when I eventually went out on my own, I, I, I needed that personal connection. I wanted to talk to people about how they were building things. And so that's that's why I started the podcast. And uh, I loved it. It's a way for me to it's like very it allows me to be the extrovert that I am while still kind of working from home. That's awesome. So you were working from home before it was like the thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I um, When I got my agency job in 2014, that was a requirement for me because my wife had just graduated from nursing school. And so we were looking for a job for her. And I was primarily in the WordPress space. And so working remotely was like a very common thing in the WordPress space. So I had a lot of options for that part was very important for me. We weren't sure where she was going to land. Say like she was my fiance at the time. We weren't sure where she was going to land. So I wanted to make sure that I was as flexible as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, what is your podcasting journey like? So you started a podcast and then was it the how I built this or how I built that, I guess? Was that the one that you started with or? I started with one before that. It was terrible. Journey for that one was a bunch of white dudes going, hey, we should start a podcast and talk about stuff. Like that was, that's like how every bad podcast starts. <laughs> so we called it the TIL podcast and we would just get like on a Skype call and talk over each other and just release the audio. Our, our significant others were also kind of part of the conversation, but we would pick a topic and not do any research. And then just mm. like, I was like, what's Bitcoin? What do you think Bitcoin is? Like, it was just not a good podcast. But I learned a lot from that process of equipment and how to record and how to get the best recording. So when I started How I Built It in 2016, name came from a domain I bought while we're on our honeymoon in Italy. 
I saw a bunch of .it domains, and I was like, I wonder if how I built .it is available. And it was. Bought that domain, and I kind of like retconned it for the podcast. And I was interviewing other web developers, specifically WordPress developers, and how they built their plugin or theme or WordPress-related program, like code thing. That's that's how it started. As a WordPress site, I hosted on Libsyn, and it it got pretty big pretty quickly. Big for me, anyway. I thought it was just going to be like a way for me to like promote my online courses. It was like sponsored before it even launched, and like Chris Coyer, which is a big name in the web development space, was my my sixth guest. And it just kind of started getting a lot of downloads from there. Like I remember watching. I think I had like fifty thousand in in nine months. Like I hit the fifty thousand download mark in nine months. That was interesting. You mentioned that you got it sponsored before you even started it. Can you tell us that process of how you went about doing that? Yeah. So in the pre-show, I mentioned like there was a little bit of luck. I was kind of glib because you you probably get this a lot, right? Anybody who makes content and has a website probably gets this a lot. Somebody emailed me and they said they had made a guide for whatever, whatever, like how to build a WordPress site. They wanted to know if I would put a backlink to it on one of my blog posts. And I said, I don't do that, but I'm launching a podcast for WordPress developers for 99 bucks. You can sponsor the first episode. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was floored that somebody would just give me 99 bucks for this thing sight unseen. Oh, yeah. So this guy sponsored the first episode. Then for the second episode, my guest talked a lot about a WordPress-related LMS called LearnDash, and she encouraged me to reach out to the founder of LearnDash to see if they would want to sponsor it, because we talked a lot about it anyway. And he said, yeah, I'd love to kind of support this work. And so after that, I was like, wow, people are willing to give me money just for talking. I should maybe like put a process in place for this, and I should like ask for more money. And I should reach out to the people in the WordPress space and uh, who I know have the most money, which was hosting companies. So it started off as kind of like a tongue-in-cheek email that because because my show was so closely aligned with the person who reached out and then the people I subsequently reached out to, they were willing to support that, especially for like a forever link, right? Like that, if you go to howibuilt.it slash 001, I think is the link. You'll still see that that backlink. I don't know if the website's still up, but the the link certainly is still there. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That obviously, if it's super niche, thought about creating a podcast. So I'm in Dallas, but I'm in a suburb of Dallas, Texas standards. It's small. What about because there's so many good like businesses and restaurants and this that and the other out here that I thought about like creating a podcast, interviewing those business owners. And I was like, I wonder if I could, and I haven't tried this yet, kind of on the back burner, but like approaching them before I even start the show and say, okay, here's the show idea, whatever. Would you be interested in like sponsoring either the episode that you're going to be on or even like all of the episodes for that season or whatever? So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, and especially like hyper local podcasts, I feel like are becoming more commonplace more popular right as more people kind of figure out and like like dallas is probably or like the area you're in is probably a good place to do it like if you were out in like the middle of nowhere montana 
I just picked a random state. I'm sorry <laughs> for anybody listening in Montana. You could just blame it on me being like an East Coast New York boy. Maybe they're not as open to podcasts, but like you're like, you know, kind of outside this big metropolis. I would probably go to the Chamber of Commerce and be like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm cre- going to create content to highlight local businesses. Mm-hmm. Would you want to sponsor? Because usually they get some money from the government to like help mm-hmm. support local businesses. They could probably put you in contact with a lot of businesses as well. Oh, interesting. That's a great point. Okay, well, while we're talking about monetization, we've kind of hit a little bit on sponsorships, but I know that there are four other ways that you recommend monetizing a podcast. Yeah, for sure. So people think of sponsorship because they hear it the most, they see it the most. It's it's the way that I think a lot of people kind of just figure that's how podcasts make money. But I have I've put together what I call the Smash Framework which is five ways you can make money podcasting. The first S is sponsorship, but the other four have nothing to do with sponsorship. Sec, the M is membership, right? So let's say you launch a a niche podcast, you get a lot of listeners, they're really into it. You can offer for five bucks a month for them to get, let's say, ad-free extended episodes or just bonus episodes, access to a Discord the episodes uh, streamed live like while they're happening before they're edited like i know a lot of people kind of like like to hear that you can offer this extra to your most ardent listeners and i would say that if you have an engaged audience a membership is what's going to work best do you offer a membership it's it does okay like i kind of experiment with it but i know people like the ad-free extended episodes, right? Because I do have sponsors, but for my members, they don't get sponsors. But then the last like 10 minutes is members only. And we have the best conversations in those last 10 minutes. My guest last week or two weeks ago, as we record this, dropped like some serious knowledge on me in the members only episode that totally made like the whole year worth it for them. So value add for your most engaged members. A is affiliates, right? And I would say like, litter your show notes with affiliate links. That's not really the strategy. But if you have a podcast where you're constantly talking about a couple of tools, right? So like maybe uh, you, it could be how you feel about any of these tools. And I don't know if any of them are current sponsors or so like this disclaimer, like this is just me talking off the top of my head. Mint, or I think they're called Rocket Money now, called Truebill before. But like if you're talking about these tools a lot as a way to get your business finances in order and understand where all your money's going. You can have those affiliate links and you can have easy to speak URLs for them. That's a good strategy. So like for my other, for my podcasting podcast, Make Money Podcasting, I talk about like ConvertKit a lot because I think it's a really easy way for podcasters to like get up and running with commerce without having to like understand payment gateways. I talk about Buzzsprout a lot because I think it's a really good platform, especially for mini podcasts. So like I'm affiliates for them and I'll include the affiliate links and I'll kind of mention that it comes up. So if you make like two or three products central part of your affiliate strategy, I think that you can generate some decent income that way. You can at the very least, you can cover the costs of your podcast. That was a S and H are selling and helping. And these are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? So selling if you sell products and helping if you're a coach, a consultant, or you sell courses, right? Uh, Those are kind of, you're using your podcast to establish your expertise and then getting people who listen to know, like, and trust you and then getting them onto either your list or directly selling to them. I know I have a friend, Sam Munoz, who she uses her podcast to directly sell her cohort-based course. 
So the people who are buying her course aren't even on her mailing list. They're just regular listeners who get a lot of value out of the podcast. And then when the doors open, changes her call to action, thanks to Buzzsprout, and people register right from the podcast. So last two are a way for you to establish your authority, tell people, hey, I know you have this problem. I have a thing that helps you solve that problem. And you can buy it as a listener of this podcast. Yeah, I love all those. And I've used a few of those. I I like that you mentioned uh, being an easy to speak link. Recently set up, well, I use PodPage for my website, for my podcast website anyway. I just like last week bought the domain frugal.show and have that set up. Nice. So that I can say like frugal.show forward slash whatever. Though I have been just saying like the Sarah St. John.com forward slash whatever. And that's, that's been working as well. And I know you have, is it make money dot. Make money pod.com. I'm like, really, I'm like kind of like an old school, like I've been a web developer for 20 years. So I'm like, got to get the dot com, but like, you don't really need to <laughs> like, I really like the, the easiest ones for people. Like if people can't remember, they'll type in dot com, but so anyway, makemoneypod.com is the URL for my for my other podcast. I wish they would have a dot pod or dot podcast. I wonder if that's going to come out at some point. Yeah, that would be cool. Somebody has to. So the way it here's like a quick side quest. Uh, the way it works is somebody has to petition ICANN, which is like the Internet Consorti- Consortium of like American something something. The people who make the top level domains. And, like, it costs just a ton of money to petition that. So, like, Google has .google because they paid a ton of money. It would have to be up to, like, I'm going to guess Spotify would be the most likely candidate to do this. They'd have to petition ICANN, pay a ton of money to be like, hey, .pod should be a top-level domain. And then they go through, like, this whole petition process. And then the people who paid the most money get first dibs. And then eventually that that rolls down to people like like us right uh, like dot bona b-o-n-a was a top level domain so i tried to get casa.bona but there was already like a brand in spain that had like first dibs for example that's interesting because yeah i had looked at one point into dot pod and i think i saw that that yeah it would cost a lot of money and whatever yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious if that's already in process and we just don't know about it yet <laughs> is yeah, there a way to right. look that up <laughs> Let's see. Let's do some real-time name-based .pod. It is auctioned. Looks like nobody has picked it up yet. There have been a number of bids for it, though, Mm. according to namebase.com. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, it looks like... If anything, it's still in the proposal process. Mm. And the other thing with certain top-level domains, right, again, to, well, we can put a bow on this side quest, is you have to, in certain cases, you have to have, like, certain credentials, right? So, like, I have a .it domain name. Generally, you have to be an Italian business or citizen to do that. But GoDaddy has this service where, like, they, they'll, they're, like, a registered broker. So, like, I like to picture just a random Italian registering the, these domains, an added cost, but like .mil or like .edu, like you have to prove your credentials. So another thing, right, that that might uh, slow this process down, right, is that maybe they're considering, well, should we have to make podcasters prove that they have a podcast for the .pod or whatever? So that's another thing that 
might be in consideration. I don't know. This is just pure speculation, but that could be another reason it doesn't exist yet. But again, I'm going to guess Spotify. Spotify might determine that they want to mm-hmm. sponsor the creation of that top level domain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when and if that pans out. Yeah, so I guess kind of the the point we were making is that when you have a podcaster or any business, really definitely have a website, ideally with a .com, but frugalpreneur.com was for sale for like two grand. So I was like, eh, I'll just do .show. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. If somebody owns the casabona.com and has like since I started making websites. And every like two years, I email her and I'm like, hey, do you want to sell me this? And she's like, nah. It's a real bummer. Like, I really want... It was like, her. the site was dormant for a while, and I thought, yes, this is the time. But she just redesigned it recently, so... Oh. Yeah, the people people from whoever owns frugalpreneur.com has contacted me several times asking if I want to buy it, and I'm like, yeah, but not for two grand. Ah, yeah, so so you've fallen victim to a domain squatter, is what happened. Mm. They bought it, and now they just want to sell it. Yeah. Mm. Well, like with affiliate links and whatnot, you could say your domain.com forward slash whatever the affiliate is, but then, you know, I create like a pretty link or something that would then link to the actual affiliate link because those links are just random numbers and letters and not, they're difficult to say. Yeah. And like people aren't going to remember that, right? They're not going to. So like definitely include them in the show notes, right? Because show notes show up in all the apps, but if you want to speak it, like if someone's like out and about, yeah, you're going to want that, that pretty link. And like, you know, Bitly offers that. I use a, a, a service called switchy.io. Mm. I think it's still an AppSumo deal. It's one of the it only is. AppSumo deals I've ever purchased that I actually use. Ah. So like, yeah, I have like joe.casa, which I'm really psyched about. And then I have podlift.me. Mm. Um, so like, those are just kind of short links. How I built that it is short enough that I just use that on, on my podcast though. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing about either sponsorships or affiliates, make sure it's something that you, that first of all, it makes sense for your audience because you don't need a mattress ad or a food delivery service ad or whatever random thing. <laughs> if your podcast has nothing to do with that, that drives people nuts and gets them to stop listening. Yeah. So definitely something that you either use or recommend or something that you align with and agree with, I think is also an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like it could be hard, right? If like a, a brand approaches you and they're like, Hey, we want to give you money. If like you don't support, if you don't believe in them or like, they're not the, a good fit, you can risk that trust. And and one example for me is escaped approached me earlier this year about sponsoring my podcast and like nothing against them. We make good products from what I've seen. I just didn't think male grooming tools were like in alignment with my audience is about half, like half male, half female. And like, they have a very like male forward campaign, uh, like things that I didn't think would be a good fit for me talking about on my show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Don't always just go for the money. It needs to make sense and be relevant. For, for like what you're talking about and then like the on the contract side too right like i've i've gotten into some deals with brands where like the the contract just didn't work for me right they either wanted exclusivity for an extended amount of time or they wanted me to guarantee a number of downloads and they didn't want to pay up front like i generally require payment up front to lock in those episodes right because otherwise somebody could just walk so 
you got to think about the things that work best for you when it comes to sponsorship. And, you know, as brands approach you, like keep, keep these things in mind. Here's a question I have. Do you recommend doing like baked in ads or dynamic ads? And I guess the difference between those, as I understand it, is dynamic. You can like swap those out, maybe just run the ad for whatever agreed upon time or downloads. But like a baked in, it just it just stays in there forever. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think for, let's say like podcasters around like my size or smaller, probably a little bit bigger than me too. I think baked in is going to give you the most value because something that I teach my students through like my podcast liftoff playbook is CPM is probably not going to work for most podcasters who like aren't in the top like 2%, right? CPM cost per milli, say cost per thousand downloads. Let's say I get about 5,000 downloads per episode in the first 30 days. So that's a hundred bucks an episode per sponsor spot for me. I charge 250 bucks per episode for the pre-roll and 330 bucks per episode per sponsor per episode for the mid-roll. That's a lot more than like the average CPM because I I do I calculate what's called my overall reach. So I tell people not only are you going to get a baked in ad on my podcast, right? So it's never going to be replaced. But you'll also get a forever link on my website, which is usually good enough for them. Like that backlink is probably going to mean a lot. And like I do tag it as sponsor, but who knows like what the search engines do with that information. I'll mention you in my newsletter. I'll mention you on Twitter if you if for this nominal extra fee i'll even add a youtube video of me using your products like things like that where you create these custom packages and i think for for podcasters like like us baked in is going to deliver the most value dynamic ad insertion benefits of that are right you can sell straight up 30 days you i'll promote you for 30 days and then it's gone or i'll promote you for up to 5000 downloads and then it's gone and i'm going to replace you with somebody else so you can kind of continue to sell that inventory. And if you're a huge podcast, like Stuff You Should Know, or like probably anything on Wondery, maybe that works for you, especially like the the series-esque pod, like Dr. Death, for example. People aren't going to jump in in the last episode of Dr. Death. They're going to go back to the beginning and start there because it's a story-based podcast. Podcasts like ours, where like we're talking about like a specific thing or we're interviewing people, I sincerely doubt somebody's going to go back to my first episode and just listen to all 300 episodes I have. So like dynamic ads aren't going to work for me. Sponsors are going to get the most bang for their buck in that first 30 days. Does that answer your question? I I think I answered your question. Was that, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I guess that's true about the cost per mille. I was thinking more in terms of like the new, like with Buzzsprout or Captivate where Oh yeah, you can you can kind of do it that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So I like to reserve that for my own calls to action. Oh. Uh, where uh, and I think you've I think you do this too, right? Uh, right at the beginning of your show, there's a hey, real quick, I want to tell you about this thing I have. Mm-hmm. So most of the time for me, it's going to be a, a opt into my podcast booster blueprint or like whatever opt in I want people to get. But I was toying with the idea of like a a closed doors cohort based course. And so maybe for those two weeks, right, that dynamic content, I'd replace the call to action for my newsletter with a, hey, doors are open sort of thing, right? Again, this is what my friend Sam Munoz does. Now with Buzzsprout, it's pre and post roll, right? So you can dynamically add them there. 
But again, you you get into the kind of how are you going to how do you want to sell that? And at, at least with Buzzsprout, I feel like it's an all or nothing thing. I might be mistaken. I just haven't really looked that into it because I want to do all of them. But you definitely want to look into how you would best sell that. Is it going to be like 30 days? And I usually get again, I know for my podcast, I get about 60,000 downloads in a 30 day period across the entire show. So if I can add a pre-roll to the beginning of every episode and say, yeah, you're going to get 60,000 downloads this month. Well, that's a pretty good CP. That's like a good, uh, that's a good CPM, right? If we're looking at like $20 CPM, 20 times 60 is 1200 bucks for a, a, a sponsor spot. But again, you, you really want to, I think you want to think about what that's going to mean for your podcast moving forward. And if it really works best for you and the brands that makes sense. Yeah, because I've done sponsorships in the past and I did it as a pre-roll, but it baked in. So they're still mm. there. But this was before I used Captivate for my hosting. So this was before Captivate released their dynamic ad insertion. Well, they call it Amy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what that stands for. But so like for those episodes, well, and the nice thing about Captivate is if I wanted to change something on the front or back end, and they have mid-roll as well. You can apply it to certain episodes. You don't have to do all or nothing. So I don't know. I've th- I've kind of thought about, but what you said makes sense where if it's like a Dr. Death or something where it's like a story podcast, people aren't just going to pick random episodes. They're going to listen to the whole thing. So it makes sense to like recycle those uh, spots. Whereas when it's like interviews or topical or whatever, every episode's a different thing. Maybe it doesn't make as much sense to try to recycle those spots because there's not going to be that many people probably listening through all your back catalog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you want to do, right, is you want to look at what you get in the first 30 days. That's probably going to be the most downloads for most people. And then like what you get over like 60 days. I'm experimenting with something this year where I am selling my back catalog spots for marginally less than a pre-roll just to see if people go for it. And the reason that it's like marginally less and not like half is because I have to go in and and modify the created audio, add the sponsor spot and then re-upload it because I'm I'm I am still doing baked in ads. And I want to make sure that like I don't have two pre-rolls at the beginning already, right? So like cuz like three pre-rolls that feels like a lot. <laughs> For like a half hour long pod, like my the show used to be a half hour long, like three pre-rolls right in the beginning. It's like a good chunk of the half hour. But like if there's an episode where like it was released a year ago and it's just crushing it, right? Like yeah, maybe it is worth adding dynamic ad insertion for that one or you know selling you like selling the rolling sponsorship at a 30-day clip i would suspect for most people you'll deliver the most value and sponsors will see the most value in a baked in ad right now mm-hmm. yeah and i like that you pointed out that you can add all those other things as well because like what i did was i did the baked in ad mentioning them in the new because every episode goes out to my email list. So I would mention them as the sponsor of that episode. And then they'd also in the show notes, you know, stuff like that. So I think like you said, creating those extra value ads is also a good selling point, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause again, like, you know, the stuff you should know, for example, right. They just have, or like any NPR show, like they just have to be like, yep, we get like millions of downloads for every episode. So you just pay us 
CPM. And like that makes financial sense to them. But some of my episodes get like 3,000 downloads in a month, right? Like those are the less popular episodes. And But I still sell the same amount because I'm, I, again, I'm calculating my overall reach here. I bundle, right? Like one of the best things I've done recently is go from like number of episodes based to time based. So like you can get a three month campaign. And that makes a lot of, that makes more sense for more people. Because if I'm like, oh yeah, for 12 episodes, you can sponsor for 12 episodes. Well, like how, how often do you publish? What does that mean? Like, what do you skip a week? What is, but like three months is a very concrete thing. And most people have ad campaigns kind of based around timeframes and not like number of random podcast episodes. So I've definitely seen an uptick in, in, it's been a lot easier for me to sell when I do like, I do a six, a three, six and 12 month package where people can get that number of episodes, however many it is, at an increasing discount, right? So I'll offer like a bigger discount if they get more episodes because that's less selling I have to do. But yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely experiment. I've done, I don't know. So I listened to your episode with John Lee Dumas, which great Mm -hmm. poll, by the way. Nice work getting him on the show. And I remember him challenging you to do three episodes per week. I won't hold you accountable. Three episodes a week is a lot. But I, I rolled out something called How I Built Bits, and for a while, I was like kind of ripping off indie hackers because they were doing this. They were like pulling like just clips from old episodes and surfacing them as a separate episode with a separate sponsor. That turned out to be a lot of work for me. Like I like I wanted to find it like my VA can't really do that because like what use your discretion for the show that like you don't have like all this historical knowledge on. But I'm bringing back the bits and it's going to be like a five or ten minute episode where I just talk about a, a helpful tool for creators. And that's just kind of something I could talk about off the top of my head. And people can sponsor those episodes for 99 bucks. Because again, it's just going to be a quick read at the beginning. It's very little work for me. And so that's another thing I'm experimenting with, right? Because again, if you do sponsors, and this is going back to one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons why you might want to explore one of those four other ways. With sponsorships, the way to make money is to increase your content output, right? So create another podcast or another episode that people can sponsor or increase the number of sponsors you have in an episode. And that could get really annoying for people. Maybe not so annoying that they'll leave, but you know, I mean, there are some podcasts where they're aware of this, like they've been told about this, but they have a network that will dynamically add, do ad insertions. And they have three breaks with three ads each. And like mm-hmm. that's like TV. <laughs> and it feels like a lot. So those are things that you got to weigh, I guess. But if you have a membership or a product or affiliate links, right, that do really well for you, those are a lot more scalable. You don't need to make more content necessarily to get more affiliate sales. Or you don't need to add a whole other podcast to make money with memberships right you have maybe the private episodes maybe you do one here and there but you don't have to like create a whole new show just to sell more memberships Mm -hmm. and i like that you mentioned about like the five or ten minute episodes is that what you refer to as mini podcasts yeah that's a great question so i say a mini podcast is 20 minutes or less i get rambly sometimes so i'll go like 20 minutes but yeah anything that's kind of that short amount of time So like 5, 10, 20 minutes is what I consider a mini podcast. And it's enough time for you as the host, just you, to cover 
some topic, right? So again, Make Money Podcasting is a mini podcast where I pick a topic and just kind of talk through everything I know about it. So like this week, it's actually calculating your overall reach, coincidentally. And so I get to show my expertise and I get to help people by like kind of pulling some some stuff from course material and just like my knowledge of doing this for nearly 10 years. But yeah, like on how I built it, which is more geared towards creators in general, creators and small business owners, I want to highlight tools that are super helpful for them. So maybe I have a whole episode around like automations in ConvertKit, right? I can kind of do a high level overview on that in 10 minutes or less. And then I can include my ConvertKit affiliate link, but then a brand or a company can also sponsor that episode if they want to. Hmm. Oh, I like that idea of doing kind of a sponsorship and affiliate in the same. That'd be better than two sponsorships, I think, because one would be like an ad, but then the other one would be like, you're talking about whatever. And then yeah. you just say, if you want to check this thing out, go to mypodcast.com forward slash the affiliate link or whatever your pretty link is for that. I actually have been thinking about kind of similar to what you said of creating some episodes that are about five to 15 minutes each where I'm talking about a specific tool or software program because I'm always researching different software programs to run a business as affordably yeah. as possible. And so like, I already have a list of like 20 or 30 tools. I haven't recorded them yet, but I have my list started. And so I'm thinking like, I'll do an episode like that every week, definitely by January, but hopefully before then I can kind of launch that. And then my one interview a week and whatnot. So that's kind of cool that you have kind of that same idea going too. Yeah, that's and that's really smart, right? Because again, it allows you to create valuable content without taking up a bunch of time. And and at some point, like those of us who were creating content are curators, right? I was reading, reading a book, listening to a podcast, something. I consumed some piece of content that said, if you read two to three books on a subject, you are more of an expert than most people. And that, that like really struck me. So, you know, you read these articles or you try out this software, right? I love tinkering with software as well, like trying out apps and things like that. And if you could put that to good use and create good content from it, then all the better, right? So if you're, you know, I mean, like if you're trying out this free alternative to a, a paid app to help the entrepreneur who's just starting up and trying to start a business is, as cheaply as possible, that's going to provide great value for your customers. And if they sign up through your affiliate link and eventually become a paid customer, then then you're also kind of generating income on that end too. So you've made over 250000 with your podcast. And so I assume that's a combination of sponsorships, affiliates, membership, probably even coaching, I guess. I'm kind of curious, like percentage-wise or... I guess the different ways that you mon- you have monetized, you probably monetized in all five ways of your smash method. Yeah, what, like what's the breakdown, right? Yeah. Um, I don't have the exact numbers because I'm a bad business owner. Like my accountant <laughs> has those numbers. But uh, kind of rough, rough sketching, right? Uh, sponsorship is easily the, the most. That's the thing I've been doing the longest. I have connections in that space. And so, yeah, I make about thirty to $50,000 per year on podcast sponsorship alone. I locked in about $6,000 worth of sponsorships like this week paid invoices. So usually that all comes at the end of the year because brands, companies, they're setting their their advertising budget for the next year. 
And so you want to reach out to them like now, as we record <laughs> this middle of October, you want to reach out to brands. Middle of October is a good time because they're setting their annual budgets and then kind of the beginning of every quarter, because they also have these quarterly budgets that they're looking to spend. And so as we record this now is a really good time for me. Most brands are setting their budgets and they're looking to spend, you know, I have proposals out for like $20,000 with a couple. And so that'll cover my 50 right there. So that's where I make the most amount of money for, for my sponsorships. Next is going to be coaching. I don't do this on purpose and I certainly don't do it just to get people on the phone, which some podcasters do. And if you are that podcaster, don't do that. Podcasting is about trust. But people get on my podcast and I talk to them and they're like, hey, you have a really good system in place for this. And I'm like, yeah, I have to. I'm like a one-man band. And they ask if I'll do coaching. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I get I get coaching clients from people who come on my podcast. I get coaching clients from people who listen, who are like, I love your podcast. Can you show me your ways? That's probably number two. Number three, I'm going to say is is memberships and then products and affiliates. Products, I just don't do a very good job of promoting on how I built it because I always felt weird having like a full deck of sponsors, which is three, and then also promoting my product. So that's almost like a fourth sponsorship. I'm considering in 2023 scaling back only having two sponsors and then using that third spot all the time to promote either my coaching or my my playbook but that's that's a tough thing for like it's like tough right because with the for a business owner it's like well there's concrete money and then there's like theoretical more money and at this point like the concrete money has always been more if that makes sense like sponsorship has always paid the bills better than my own products so that's just something i'm considering though i guess the lesson to take away here is Experiment, see what works best for you. You had mentioned something just in passing about automations. Can you give us any kind of insight into your automation process? Yeah, this is like my favorite thing to talk about. Um, oh, okay. Because I'm like a, you know, I'm a tech nerd. I'm a programmer. Automation kind of lets me flex those muscles, but it's also super crucial. A friend challenged me in 2018. I was on the struggle bus, right? Because we were having like, I have three small children. I had one back then. The pandemic gifted us with two more (laughs) at separate times, not twins or anything. But our babysitter had abruptly quit. And my wife is a nurse. So her schedule is, is less flexible than mine, right? She has to go into work and she works 12 hour days, 12 hour shifts. And so I was watching my kiddo for a while while we didn't have a babysitter on the days that my wife had to work. Not unlike a pandemic, I guess. But uh, my friend challenged me. He said, you need to do less. So I'm going to challenge you to do less. Like in the next three months, take time and figure out what you could take off your plate. And what he meant was, what projects should I not do? But what I heard was, how can I keep doing everything I'm doing while still doing less? And automation was the answer there. So My podcast is the thing that took up the most amount of my time. So Calendly, when people fill out the Calendly link, it kicks off a Zapier zap that sends it to Airtable. Airtable is like the canonical thing for me. It's where I plan all of my episodes. My VA can access that. She can get the guest headshots there so that she can create the artwork. It's fantastic. It'll also create a note in my notes app for me to take notes during the interview which my VA also has access to. 
And finally, it'll create a task in Todoist, my, my tasks app, to remind me to do a post-interview summary. This is important because that's the last thing that I do for my podcast. So I have like a spreadsheet with potential guests that I fill out. I have a Zapier Zap that emails them all at the same time. It's like a personalized email, but a lot of the information is the same. So I'll use that to like reach out to 20 people at the same time with my scheduling link to see if they want to come on the show. They all get scheduled. I talk to all of them. I use Riverside. I'll download the Riverside. And full disclosure, I guess Riverside sponsored my podcast previously. But I'll use Riverside to record everything. I download all of that. I do my post-interview summary, which is like the top takeaways and then the places that need editing. I'll put that all in a folder. And then I'll put that folder in a Dropbox folder called Needs Editing. At that point, an automation kicks off and Airtable, the status of that up of that episode is updated to out for edit. My editor gets an email saying there's a new episode to edit. When he's done editing, he uploads the final cut back to Dropbox in a folder called Needs Transcribing. The status in Airtable is updated to out for transcript. My transcriber gets an email and my VA gets an email saying like, hey, this episode, except for the transcript, is ready for publish. Then she knows to go to Airtable to get all the particulars and to the notes app to create the show notes and the links. And then she publishes, well, she schedules it in WordPress. And I don't see it again until it hits my podcast app on the day it publishes. So like thanks to automation and like a very small team I have in place, once I'm done recording, I'm done with that episode. And that has enabled me to like put these systems in place and focus on sponsor outreach and other ways like building my membership to make money with my podcast. Yeah, I love that. I recently just started using Airtable and I think I haven't fully explored all of its capabilities. So when you have a task in there and someone's done with that task, do they have to check manually check that off? I'm done. Or do, like, how does that work? What what automation specifically within Airtable? I'm curious. Yeah, so Airtable Airtable is really good with like Zapier for getting stuff in, but not mm -hmm. getting stuff out. Okay. So I pay for Airtable to use their like internal automations, which is mostly like sending emails, doing some row cleanup. But one of the things that I do, it's like a com it's like a combination of Zapier and then the internal Airtable automations is I mentioned that when I add a folder to my needs editing folder in Dropbox, Airtable is updated automatically. I have a very specific naming convention. And so the folder I add is like episode number dash and then the guest's name. So when a new folder hits the needs editing folder, Zapier is looking for that. It'll take the first part of the name and then it'll look for that number as the episode number in Airtable and then it'll update the status that way. So that stuff is automated. The only thing that's that's not automated status-wise is when it's added to WordPress. So like I have find guest, need to write. These are the statuses for episodes. Find guest, need to write, which is like solo episodes that I'm doing. And it's usually like an outline. I don't script. Guest scheduled, guest recorded, out for edit, out for transcript, add to WordPress, added to WordPress, 
published. And so with added to WordPress, my VA has to do that one. And then when it's published, I probably could set up an automation to like set that one, but I don't, I just manually check that. That kind of, that's like my sanity check. Cause then like <laughs> it disappears from the queue mm-hmm. and I'm like, or it disappears from my view. Like anything that has the status published, I can't see anymore. And I'm just like, all right, that episode is gone now. And I can easily see who's up next. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to mess around a little bit more in it. I'm on the free plan. I usually use the free plan for most things that I can do or like do app sumo deals and stuff. Yeah. And like Airtable gives away a lot for free. I pay for it for the color coding, the automation and the team stuff. I don't pay for like project management software like Zapier and Airtable and then podcast hosting are really like, I was actually looking, I have a spreadsheet of like, where can I cut costs? And like, there was one thing, <laughs> like everything else. I was like, well, this is all essential and there's not that much. So I'm with you. Like, I don't pay for things unless I need them, but Airtable has become like, because like, I also plan like my YouTube channel there. My VA tasks are all there. Like, that's like my project manager. So, you know, I just think, well, I'm using it to organize, but I'm also using it instead of like using like Monday.com or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. I think we covered a lot today and I appreciate your time. I know you have a special link, podcastliftoff.com forward slash Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, as like a thank you for having me on the show and thanks to everybody for listening. I have a special offer there where I will do a free 15 minute coaching call with you. If you're struggling with in 15 minutes, we can usually cover like the big thing that you're struggling with podcasting. So free 15 minute coaching call. Or if you liked all the stuff I just talked about, I have videos on every single one of those things in my podcast liftoff playbook, which you'll be able to get for 50 bucks off at any level as a, as a listener of frugalpreneur. Awesome. I appreciate that. I might have to sign up myself, actually. Can I use that discount? if I For sure. Okay. It's, if you visit if you visit that page and you just mm-hmm. click on like, yes, like the buy button, it's automatically applied. Okay. And then also, if people want to just learn more about you in general, your website is casabona.org. That's C-A-S-A-B-O-N-A.org. And I'll have show notes to everything at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Casa Bona. I have to keep reminding myself how that's pronounced. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Wh- when we were in Italy, a lot of people would go, Casa Bona, good house. Oh. And I'm like, yeah. And oh, then they'd say, Le capisce l'italiano, which means, do you speak Italian? And much to their disappointment, I would say, Io capisco un po' l'italiano, which means I understand a little Italian. Uh. <laughs> Itali- all Italians think that American Italians should learn the language of their motherland. So I, mm. I disappointed a lot of Italian people on our honeymoon. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners. Share your thoughts on episodes. Engage in meaningful discussions including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.